Hey, buddy. Yes, Alice? How was your most recent viewing of Rogue One? You know, it was good. Uh, it, it finally feels like uh, I'm, I'm kind of clicking back into the movie again. You know, we, we, ha- we had a watch party on our Discord. Yes, we did. Uh, and, you know, we were able to talk our way through the film. And I feel like, uh, you know, we had some good debates over the course of the movie uh, about all sorts of interesting details in the Rogue One universe. Um, and, yeah, I, I had a great time. Yeah, it was really fun. I really like watching the movie with you and with the with the Discord server. Shout out to Mike. Um, and to sit there and watch the movie and be able to talk through it, I feel like we could start over again, start this podcast over from the top and have an entirely new podcast worth of things to talk about. Like, even, even as much as we cover in every single episode, every time we watch it, I feel like I've got something else to add, something else to say. Yeah, that's the thing about I guess Rogue One in particular, but maybe maybe about uh, this style of analyzing a movie is that you know things will fade in and out of our attention, uh, which then make us focus on different parts of the movie. And and of course, the more experience we gather in our lives, the different the the more different views we're gonna get out of Rogue One. So uh, it's really interesting to be back at it for this, the episode of Rogue One for July 2020. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the segment that we're going to talk about today, we're going to go from an hour and 33 minutes into the movie uh, when Cassian says, light him up. Uh, And we're going all the way to when the Rebel fleet uh, enters the atmosphere and Antok Merritt lands that solid hit on the side of that ATAT and flashes his beautiful smile that, uh, at about an really hour. One about of an the hour most in... handsome smiles in the galaxy. <laughs> Genuinely, he's just a very handsome man. So that's about an hour and forty-one minutes in into the film. So we're doing just about eight minutes of uh, of film here, and it's a lot of action. Uh, but some some genuine moments that we that we want to discuss. So uh, let's get started. Right. So Melshi says, uh, "Ready, ready, ready." Uh, Cassian says, "Light them up," and they do. <laughs> they do. Um, we get this amazing shot from inside the Citadel Tower looking out over all of the landing pads and these little explosions, like muffled sound explosions going off in the distance. And so we're seeing it from the Imperial point of view, uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, explosions. And we yeah. get to, it's like the impact of what the rebels have been doing and how sneaky and successful they were is playing out right there in front of us. Yeah, the thing you don't realize when you're watching the rebels place these explosives is just how much of the base they've managed to cover. And I think, you know, that's that's actually kind of brilliant because it makes this threat look so much bigger than it is. You know, make 10 men feel like 100 really does speak volumes about this strategy here. Yes, there are a couple of times in this little segment of the movie where I've where I really feel that line make ten men feel like a hundred, and I'll I'll get we'll get to the to another instance of that in a minute, 
but yeah, that's exactly, you realize how much ground they were able to cover, how much, uh, how much space they were able to like, like surround with just like a handful of people. Yeah. And it's cool. It looks great up there. And then you get, you know, Orson Krennic's <laughs> like excellently delivered line. Are we blind? Deploy the garrison. <laughs> Just uh, spitting it out with all of the the fire and fervor that Ben Mendelsohn is capable of. And and one has to imagine that if Tarkin were in command, he wouldn't put all of his people outside in response to this. Like, right. I, I really feel like Krennic is doing just such a, such a tactical gaffe here where like this is exactly the plan right rebels have infiltrated the base they plant some explosives to draw the garrison out so that more rebels can infiltrate the base better like it's so easy to see from our perspective as the audience but one would have to imagine an experienced military person in you know the empire would get that they would be like oh wait this is a trap or <laughs> the rebels are trying to draw us out stand firm right lock the base down instead deploy the garrison spread out everybody find these rebels right now and that's that's krennic's whole thing you know we've been we've been criticizing krennic a lot lately for how he doesn't do half measures right uh, right. He he always wants a manifesto, not just a statement. Yes. And so this deploy the garrison thing is like, we will crush the rebellion right here and right now. We will find them all. And when that, really, this should be a, a security thing. Exactly. And that is what I mean. What K two S O when he when he pulls the map out of the out of the other KX unit's head and he says there are however many stormtroopers in our path, 80-something stormtroopers in our path, um, we'll make it only 33% of the way there before we're killed. Um, what Krennic does here, when he deploys the garrison, is removes all of those stormtroopers from, from their path. He clears Just the way. every obstacle that could have stopped them. Yeah. And they don't they don't get challenged in the uh, in the room until well after they've infiltrated, gotten inside the authori- unauthorized access inside yeah. the uh, data vault, and so yeah, Krennic yeah falls right into the trap. Yeah, and and so things are looking pretty good for uh, the Rogue One team, uh, but Alice, I, I actually want to talk about one small detail that for me was a really big detail going into Rogue One, but then that felt like a smaller detail after having seen the film. Yes. And I think you know what I'm about to say. Are you going to talk about the klaxon? The klaxon! Yeah. The, the very specific Imperial alarm klaxon that... <laughs> don't worry i'm gonna feed it in under Good. us as we talk about it <laughs> but like, no you're absolutely right it's an iconic like cool sound and i remember exactly what i know exactly what you're talking about because when these first trailers of rogue one started to drop and we didn't know what the movie was about we didn't know who the characters were we didn't know anything but that klaxon kind of 
is like a metronome in the back of the trailer where you can just hear it kind of throughout. Right, and the it, trailer's cut to it just beautifully with yes. the fading in and out with and the klaxon sound. It's so beautiful and it really set like the tone, like like what we were expecting from the movie. And I suppose you're right, it doesn't play as big of a um as big of a, a role as, as you would expect, but they they leave it in there. It's consistency, it's continuity. <laughs> yeah. And I don't remember thinking about the klaxon in Star Wars, this klaxon in, in particular, um, before Rogue One came out. I'm not sure if it's original to Rogue One, but it definitely feels like it was a big part of Rogue One uh, as compared to other movies. Right. Uh, when I when I was thinking of, I remember when the first trailer came out, watching it and then reading a comment where somebody was like, wow, that klaxon. And I was like... To me, in my head, when I when I heard the when I read the word klaxon, I was thinking of the one on like the ten of four, the like rebellion one, the pew pew. Ooh pew, yeah, that, that one? rebellion klaxon. That's what I thought they were talking about. But we <laughs> hear that one later in this movie too. Right. Um. But no, it's the the like empire one that's like uh like punctuating the back and like creating this really like intense sense of urgency. Uh. That's it's really it's really cool. Yeah, it's interesting that the two sides of this conflict have very distinct alarm noises. <laughs> um, and I wonder if there's more to that, like the sound design of these two uh, factions. Like, you know, rather infamously, the Death Star um, has a low hum that plays under every scene that takes place within it. Um, And I wonder, actually, if the scenes in Rogue One have that same hum, because, you know, a a lot of stories about Star Wars, when it first came out, all the scenes on the Death Star had this low hum, but you could only hear it in properly equipped theaters. And it's been so long since I saw Rogue One in a properly equipped theater. Um, (laughs) But I wonder if that low hum is there, uh, that oppressive hum of Imperial equipment. Yeah. Uh, which you know we don't have that in rebellion things because the rebellion is not oppressive so we have much more natural soundscapes i wonder if you know what i i wonder the same thing i can't like hear the hum right now like when i run through the movie in my head real quick um but i I, that's a question for our next uh watch party maybe yeah we're gonna be listening for the hum yeah um yeah, so, yeah, the sound design is great, and uh, and this initial action in this in this fight scene is so good. When they wait for the troopers to come out the door and then kind of, like, bottleneck them in uh, with with close fire, you know, and, and uh, running through the trees and, and everything, the, the initial act- action of this scene is so excellent, um, where it really, you know... It starts. It starts off feeling like we're winning, like yeah. oh wow, we're doing really well. Yeah, these <laughs> we're totally ten guys gonna win. Really feel like a hundred guys. Uh, you know, the force is so with them right now. Yeah. Uh, and, and the thing about the force is, it's a balancing force. It's a guiding force, uh, and it can only push these characters so far. Uh, of course. So, I don't. I don't know if at this point we feel that sense of dread yet. Um, I think that sense of dread is definitely on its way. But actually, by the end of this segment of the film, I think we still feel hopeful. 
Right. I, yes, I think so. Especially, like, we get a little bit of the dread when the uh, AT-ACTs start coming through the, start coming through the trees. And it starts to feel like, oh, no, now we've done it. But then it this this segment ends with a big triumphant moment. That's why I chose that ending spot. Because yeah. it feels really like this part, this first like third or so of the Battle of Scarif, feels really triumphant, really exciting, even like like fun and thrilling. This is the part we're going to scramble the fleet. We're going to... Uh, Baze gets to launch that that cool you know rocket launcher off his shoulder. Everything feels like like the stakes are high, but still attainable and achievable. We yeah. haven't lost hope yet. And our air characters are using all of their cool skills, like you just said. Baze is doing cool weapons stuff. Bodhi is being uh you know kind of subterfuge. Um, and, and Cassian and Jen are successfully sneaking with K2 and everything's going really well for, for our heroes. Yeah. Um, and Uh, support and help is on the way. Yes. Um, but first to, to spoil the fun, we're going to cut over to, uh, to Tarkin. Oh, Grand Moff Tarkin. Yep. I should have known. Grand Moff Tarkin, yeah, we can smell his stench from. <laughs> um, no, Grand Moff Tarkin is is brought in here for a moment, really quick little scene, but he is our first. I feel like kind of clue that uh, things are not gonna go well at the end of this battle, right? Like he says, you know, prepare the jump to, to hyperspace and inform Lord Vader. The original plans for this station are kept there. They are. Prepare for the jump to hyperspace and inform Lord Vader. He is telling us that if 40 minutes from now, uh, when this battle is ending, he, the Death Star, and Darth Vader are going to show up and ruin everybody's day. Yeah. The thing about the Empire is it's not all made up of Krennics. Uh, There are very dangerous people who work for the Empire. Uh, Tarkin being one of the most cunning military minds in the galaxy, Vader being one of the most fearsome opponents in the galaxy, uh, mm-hmm. and they're all on the way with they're... the biggest gun in the galaxy. Exactly. Uh, and, and things are about to get really bad. And Tarkin's so smart and so clever and so military, like, strategy-minded that the first question he asks, he knows exactly what he's about to ask. First, well, first I think he asks about Krennic. Um, uh, I'd like f- to speak to Director Krennic. He's there, but, sir. On Scarif, and he knows right away what's important about Scarif. He says the plans for this battle station are on that planet, right? And yes, he he knows. Like he he knows right away what they're after. There's not even a question for him. What like oh why would they go to Scarif or oh the rebels are trying to make a statement. He's like oh no. The rebels are going after this battle station. They know it exists because of Krennic's failures. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and Tarkin has already figured out what what the leak was. Mm-hmm. Like, what exactly the leak was and where their weakness is uh, at this point. And so, honestly, if, if Tarkin is in charge and not Krennic, uh, the rebellion never gets a chance. Uh, because he he's already there, he's right. he's five steps ahead, uh, and I I think you know 
Tarkin in A New Hope uh, is overconfident. You know, that's that's his downfall, right? They, yes. They're going to evacuate him off of the Death Star. And in our like, moment of triumph? I'm about to win. Um, <laughs> and the thing about that is, you know, that's when Imperials fail. And Tarkin falls prey to Krennic Syndrome. Like, I haven't lost. I lose nothing but time swatting these flies out from around my battle station. Right. Like, I'm going to destroy the Rebellion today, right now. You've lost. Yes. And... But Tarkin, unlike Krennic, Tarkin only gets that confident when he's got a series of wins under his belt. Right. He gets to blow up Alderaan first. You know, he's got the rebels pinned down on Yavin 4 first. You know, Krennic gets that excited and that cocky and confident just because they blow up just Jetta City. Yeah. And yes, a, a, a triumph, an achievement, his achievement, not, not anyone yours. else's. Um, <laughs> but it's still just, it's one thing. And Tarkin yeah. is like, no, we're going to wait. We're going to wait. And then we will celebrate our victory. And, I agree. Uh, yeah. And that's, yeah, a fundamental difference between the two of them. And it's part of what makes Tarkin such, such a um, iconic figure, right? Like yes. this guy who has so much going on, uh, in his head at any given point uh, is, is just, but so reserved about it, right? He's almost like Sherlock Holmesian in his like <laughs> self-control, uh, where where you really start to go like, this dude is dangerous, but he would yes. never show it. His mere presence and like gravitas of existence brings that, and 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 the way that he talks so deliberately and his diction is so clear every inch of him is designed to give the impression of control and of like i'm going to be i'm going to beat you at this because i'm better than you are yeah kind of thing you know cool. i i hear there is a tarkin novel out there that is really good uh Ooh. and I'd, I'd be interested in reading more tarkin stories it's like about how tarkin became tarkin oh uh, i would like to read that yeah. um I mean, he's got that episode of the Clone Wars, right? Um, and he is featured fairly regularly in the prequel novel for Rogue One, uh, Catalyst. Oh, you yeah. get a lot of scenes back and forth between him and Krennic that like establish their animosity. It's uh, it's pretty excellent. But if there's a whole novel dedicated to Tarkin, I want it because those little teases of of Tarkin background are not enough. No, not at all. All right. Moving Senator! on. <laughs> Senator! 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 Oh, man, this poor guy and his very good mustache. Uh, there's a lot of, like, really excellent facial hair going on in this scene between him and Antok Merrick. Um, this private, uh, whose name I have forgotten, uh, <laughs> runs runs after overhearing that there has been rebellion activity on Scarif. Rebels on Scarif. <laughs> and uh, Mon Mothma and Draven and Merrick are, are together. And they react right away. They tense up real quick. And Mon Mothma's like, well, I want to talk to Radis. <laughs> uh, and what what is Radis doing? What is Radis uh, already he's doing? He's returned to his ship. He's, he's going, going to fight. To fight. I need to speak with Admiral Radisson. He's returned to his ship. He's going to fight. He is so awesome. 
He's so great. Radis Radis has wanted to fight since the first frame that we got to see Radis in this movie. Yes. And he's itching for it. And now he's gonna go get that fight that he ever he always wanted. What I love about the Radis story is he's one of the casualties of this fight. And he walked right into it just as willingly as the rest of Rogue One. Yes. Um he he is such a fascinating character so like strategic and commanding from above and all of that but also like so much more aggressive than we see a lot of moncall characters being yes um, and and that that aggression is really cool to see out of radis in this film yes he's more aggressive than we get to see out of a lot of characters in the in the rebellion the Re- rebellion sometimes has a nasty tendency and we've seen it all the way through rogue one they have a tendency to keep it kind of safe they hide their bases and they you know they're they're spending more time like building their fleet up somewhere hidden, shooting down probe droids, then going out and uh, and taking action. And Radis recognizes that right away. He says, if what she's saying is true, we have to fight. We have to go. And he's been saying that from the beginning. He's so great. They named a ship after him. Makes yeah. an appearance in uh, The Last Jedi, I believe. Yeah. Um, to honor his memory. What a good, you know, way to honor his memory as like a iconic general they would not have won this fight without radis and his oh, extremely not. cool uh bubble ship <laughs> <laughs> i love the design of Moncal ships oh, I, the, so they're cool. so natural and yet unnatural it's yes. amazing that it gives him an opportunity to look down at the planet and see everything from above and use his very creepy eyes to see everything. <laughs> I the Moncal, I go I, I'm very hot and cold about the design of the Moncal. I, I I love them and then sometimes I'm like like, oh you're crazy looking. <laughs> um especially the like young ones. Oh yeah, definitely the the younger Moncal always look super odd to me because for <laughs> the longest time all we had was Admiral Akbar. Uh, in terms of like prominent Moncal characters, and as they've expanded the universe a little bit, and we've had younger Moncal in Clone Wars and uh, now in uh, the Rise of Skywalker, uh, and and the one there's one at the at the meeting, uh, in Rogue One. There's one oh, yeah. standing like right behind Radis. Yeah, and they've they've just got weird proportions. Yeah, uh, compared to the older Moncal, which I don't know look weird, but they look weird in like the correct way for my brain yeah. to process them <laughs> they do yeah the the like baby ones in uh clone wars really trip me out but yeah. <laughs> but this is not a mongol podcast yeah <laughs> we're gonna we're, we're we're still here with a uh, mom Mothma. and uh so when when the when the guy runs up and he says you know admiral radis is gone like he's he's already on his way to go fight the uh my husband, Antok Merrick, and General Draven, they share a look that is, like, like kind of terrified a little bit. They're not necessarily ready to go. But Mon Mothma, on the other hand, she is hyped. She Mon is Mothma so ready. Mon Mothma wants to fight. She uh, totally wants to fight. She's wanted to fight this whole time, and she hasn't let on that she wants to fight publicly. Yes, but that little smile on her face when when it cuts to her is so excellent she's proud she's proud of what she's of what she's built of the people that she's gathered around her the fact that she allied with somebody like radis who is ready to go 
ready to fight, ready to win. You know? Yeah. She I, built I, that. I wonder if she knew. I wonder who knew that Rogue One had pulled away. Uh, like, I wonder how, how fast that news got around the base that uh, Jin and Cassian and uh, a bunch of people who just showed up that day, actually, and then also <laughs> the Expendables all got into one stolen ship and stole it again. Like, I wonder if she knew that that was happening and was just waiting for somebody to take the next step so yes. that she could scramble the fleet. Um, because she... Her look is like, ah, yeah, here we go. It's not like, <laughs> oh shoot, we gotta, we gotta go. It's definitely more like, ah, I saw this coming. Um, <laughs> Excellent. So, so yeah, all according to my non-plan. <laughs> so then they scrambled the fleet. Yeah, and it's one of the greatest scenes in Star Wars. It's uh, so good. It, it feels like a. Uh, it, it feels like it's making good on some of the scenes we saw in A New Hope of that same hangar. Yes. Like, it, that hangar is so alive and vibrant and looks perfect. Uh, if you're if you're looking for something that looks just like Star Wars did when A New Hope came out. Yes, yes, they've got the little golf carts, they've got the cargo carts, um, ladders that lead up to the X-Wing that, that they climb climb into just i mean it it feels like watching a new hope again and it's very obviously very intentional there's so many ties obviously to a new hope in rogue one but this is one of the scenes that makes it so like it makes it so obvious and it feels so it feels lived in uh that i love that shot of the x-wing pilots sitting with their helmets on their laps being driven from one end of the hangar to the other in the little like golf cart yeah it's so it's so iconic and it yeah. feels real and their flight suits are grimy and grungy and still bright orange and, yes. and we talk a lot about the grunge in this movie right uh and how important it is but i feel like there's the grunge that we see on the rogue one crew it's like so grungy <laughs> and then there's these guys who like yeah they like work for a living and things are tough in a, re- in a in a rebel base but these are the pilots like they have a little bit more luxury and you can see that like it's hard but it's not they're not the expendables right right uh and there's also uh some great narration like Pilots, you will be briefed en route. May the force be with you. Yes. And there's something about that audio recording that feels very, it feels very 1977. Um, like, it, it's just so, I don't know. The, the other thing that we talk about a lot in this movie is that it, yeah, it, there are a lot of pains taken to make it seem like it could be Star Wars 1977. Like, there's a lot of effects going into it that make it fit into that aesthetic. Uh, But I think this scene is a transition from Star Wars, like, new Star Wars to new Star Wars, but we're integrating so much of classic Star Wars that you can't deny that this is a Star Wars movie anymore. Exactly. there, There were stylistic differences up until right about now. Uh, 
And now there's there's this very intentional style shift to incorporate stock footage or uh, you know outtakes from the original Star Wars trilogy. Yeah, uh, we we get that uh, by the end of this segment. We actually act like real stock footage and like really iconic uh, shots from like the inside of the X-wing that are just just spruced up footage that was filmed in 77 and it's yeah. it's beautiful it's wonderful and it's and it's nearly seamless um talking about speaking of things from 77 uh in this in this scene uh let's talk about c3po and r2d2 for a second Scarif, they're going to Scarif. <laughs> um, yeah. What do you think? This is one of the moments of this film that has people, maybe correctly, maybe in bad faith, but um, this is this is one of the parts of the movie that makes people go, yeah. But Rogue One's just fan service. <laughs> Um, it's this one, it's Dr. Evanson and Ponda Baba, it's, um, Leia at the end, you know, where, where it's, um, it's CG Tarkin, you know, a lot of people have concerns when they watch this movie that it was made just to, just to make people go, ah, Star Wars. I uh, remember Star Wars. Obviously we disagree. Uh, we made a whole podcast as to why we disagree <laughs> and why we think that this movie is, is more than that. Um, but of all of the references to, and all of the connections to the original trilogy, I think this one might be my least favorite. I don't disagree. It does really stand out. I think the shot that they're in is beautiful. It is, definitely. Uh, it's, it's so wonderfully composed, and they, uh, they cut such, like, iconic shadow silhouettes of themselves in that scene. Yes. Um... I think the line is ridiculous. <laughs> so I would probably cut the line and keep the shot if I had my choice. Like, the thing about R2 and 3PO is that Star Wars is actually the story of R2 and 3PO. And <laughs> all of the yeah. humans are just set dressing to their adventure. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, at the time, you know, 2016 when this movie came out, there, there was a much stricter idea that some things about Star Wars had to stay in every Star Wars movie. And 3PO and R2 are one of those things. Um, and the, the other thing that I might criticize about this scene is their inclusion makes about as much sense as Dr. Everson and Pando Baba. <laughs> like, in order for them to get where they need to be... Uh, they need to get on the Tantive Four. Like, which, right now. Yeah, which needs to be taking off right now. So, it's, like, really kind of... I don't know. It feels like the timing is really tight on that. Um, now, I will say one thing. Uh, the canon explanation of where 3PO and R2 were before the events of A New Hope is they were under the command of captain antilles not wedge antilles no captain antilles Cap captain, captain antilles, antilles is referenced in the last segment um i don't even think we we mentioned it but when uh bail organa leaves 
his conversation with Mon Mothma where he's like, the Jedi, and I would trust her with my life. Right. He Captain walks Antilles, away. Captain Antilles, I have a mission for you. I have a mission right. for you is the very next thing that gets said. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, and that's 3PO and R2-D2 say um, in, at the beginning of A New Hope, when he's, you're with the Rebellion? And he's, and C-3PO says, well, yes, we were, you know, under, what is he say, under the employ of Captain Antilles or? Something like that. Quite frankly, sir, I don't know what he's talking about. Our last master was Captain Antilles, but with all we've been through, this little R2 unit has become a bit eccentric. But yeah, so like that whole thing, like it, it does add up, like the details are there. It's just a little too clever. It's like yes. Han saying his last name is, he doesn't have a last name, and the other guy just goes, <laughs> well, oh, so you're solo. So solo. <laughs> oh um, my gosh. Um, a little silly, yes. It's just a fun, little too clever. Silly. Like, it's it's fun, yeah, but it's just too clever. Yeah. So I, I think a more subtle nod would have been better in this moment. Yeah. I think um, what I would have maybe liked, uh, like you said, just maybe just their silhouette, and maybe just, um, just maybe if 3PO has to speak, maybe just we're going to Scarif. Like, not like a, oh, we're going to Scarif. Why does nobody tell us anything? You know, not, <laughs> don't, you don't have to turn it into a joke necessarily, but like a, uh, did you hear that, R2? We're going to Scarif. Like that. Like something, something not jokey, but like a, um, hey, we're, this is, this is the connection you, you're looking for. We're going right. to Scarif. Keep an eye out for our ship in, in, you know, 30 minutes when this movie ends. <laughs> um, Another option could have been to have Captain Antilles grab the two droids. Like, all right, you two droids, come with me. Uh, oh, yeah. Because everybody's getting ready to go. So, you know, that that could be a cute little moment. And then we could have an idea of what R2 and 3PO's relationship with Captain Antilles is, if yeah. any. That would have been um, cute. Um, yeah. Maybe just like, come along, R2. <laughs> and then they just waddle off screen. Yeah. That would have been, yeah, that would have been really cute. I, I, yeah, this is the part, the one of the only parts where I, I uh, agree that the fan service in this movie might just be a little high. It's still good. It's still fun. It, I love a fan service. What? I'm a fan. <laughs> Give me the service. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's just like a, just like a smidge too much. Yeah. Just a, just a little too far. Um. But the music behind them is really good. The do 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 do. You know the like quick right. little version of the of the Star Wars theme is really good. Yeah, and and the movie does a lot of little moments like that, uh, especially you know as we move into this big fight, uh, musical cues are going to tell us how things are going, and that little hopeful do 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 is bringing us into this next thing. <laughs> Because our heroes are about to continue to succeed. Yes. Yes. Um, we, co- we go back to Scarif now. Um, uh, and we are just about to to get the, the fleet's going to arrive. They're not here yet. But right now we're on our own down on the planet. And um, and we get just like a little bit of why Bodhi Rook is the best uh, <laughs> in the whole wide universe. The very next thing that happens is that uh, the sweet, sweet lad, Bodhi Rook, and his buddy, Corporal Tonk, in the cockpit with him, uh, start sabotaging. This is where I really felt the line, make 10 men feel like 100. Because this is, make two men feel like an entire army. 
um, just two men uh, on one radio passing along bad information to anybody who might be listening. Yeah. You know, oh, this is, you know, pad 12, pad 12, we're being pinned down, pad 5, we're oh, being overrun. rebels everywhere. Rebels everywhere. And they said, you know, and he he even thinks to, to pass it to to Tonk, to Corporal Tonk and say, now you do it because a different voice needs to, you know, needs to be used. Like he can't yeah. just say, oh, I'm at pad 5. Oh, no, I'm at pad 12, you know. Yeah. He's smart. He's clever. He it's went to remarkably- the academy. Yeah, it's a very it's a very clever moment, and yeah, he understands imperial tactics. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that it cuts away from the cockpit and back into the uh, into where the Imperials are, and you just hear Corporal Tonk's voice say, no, "Pad five, we're be- you know we're being overrun." This is pad two, pad two. I spot forty rebels heading west on pad two. Get on there, pin down by rebels on pad five. This is pad five. We're being overrun. Yeah, it's it's a great crosscut that, you know, I didn't notice it on my first watch. Like, I didn't notice that, like, he hands Corporal Tonk the radio, and then we hear Corporal Tonk come out of the radio in the next shot. Yes. Like, it, it's, it's a little... Um, it's a little super subtle, I would say. <laughs> uh, but it's such a good detail. And it, you know, it passes us to another perspective so we can see the chaos that they're sowing. Yes. We can see the effects. Yeah. It's really cool. Uh, and yes, I think the appearance of a threat is so much more powerful than an actual threat, especially yes. for the rebels. And that appearance of a threat and the the sneaky, you know, let's let's be bigger than we are of it all is really clearly getting to Orson Krennic. So we yeah. cut into, you know, into the Citadel Tower where Krennic is, and we hear Corporal Tong's voice come over the radio, and it cuts over to Krennic's face, and he is stressed out. <laughs> well, he is not handling it well. Apparently, hundreds of rebels landed on Scarab without yes. anybody figuring it out. And they're on every landing pad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, you know... <laughs> Think about that with your brain for just one second, and it doesn't make any gosh darn sense. No, like, like... No ship could have gotten in with that many rebels. Exactly. But he's so overwhelmed, and so he's suddenly the ranking officer in the middle of an attack, and they haven't really been attacked before. You know, like, the, the strike on Edu was really the first time that that a, uh, Imperial base was attacked, right? And just Krennic's luck is he's at both of he's these He's at both attacks. of them. But he was, like, knocked out really early in the fight on Edu, and yeah. he, he was the commanding officer, but he was, you know, all they did was just kind of gather up and run away. Right. Um, you know, work here is done, let's go. Now here he is, commanding officer in a in an actual battle that he actually has to give... Uh, orders around and he's never done this before and he is stressed (laughs) Uh, i love to watch him suffer though yes of course he's great at it uh meanwhile meanwhile over at at the sneaking mission at the sneaking mission we get one of the one of the funniest cuts in in this movie one of my favorite jokes um 
<laughs> where <laughs> I'm just I'm laughing just thinking about it because this K2SO diligently working hard at his little uh, at his little table there, and you hear Cassian's voice off screen saying, "K, it isn't working." <laughs> K looks up at him, and with all the exasperation in the world, just says, "Right hand." This is not working, K. Right hand. <laughs> and you don't. It takes a second. Because you don't you don't get it right away because it doesn't show you until the door opens and on the other side of the door is Jin and Cassian propping up a guy and using his hand to open the door, <laughs> using his right hand to open the door. And so you it it implies a moment, a series of moments before this where Jin and Cassian are struggling to pick this guy up <laughs> using the, the wrong, wrong hand. hand and going, no, come on, no, uh, try this, push his thumb down a little more, like. I don't know, lift him up higher. I'm lifting him as high as I can. You know, <laughs> you're imagining this little moment where they get frustrated enough that they have to call out to Kay instead of fi- figuring it out themselves. Like, how long were they at it? <laughs> uh, easily a minute, maybe a minute and a half. And, <laughs> so and much. This is a brilliant case of less being more. Yes. Of making a few lines feel like a hundred, if you will. Ah. Uh, where, where... All of the details come out in just a couple of words. And exactly, your imagination can fill in the blanks for this really complicated situation that would just be tedious to watch. Though I would pay to watch sure, of course. Just, just a short version of <laughs> the two of them trying to get the hands right. Yeah, I just it would be just like a little too slapsticky for this moment. Um, so instead we just get the punchline, which is so good. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. totally worth it, and they're so cute because they're they're like, they're getting just like really close together, probably closer than they need to be because you know they have no sense of personal boundaries. We've established this in this podcast before, right? Of course, Jin and Cassian have no no sense of boundaries at all. They're always up in each other's business, right? Uh, and it's the same for that. So you get this, yeah, this cute shot of them leaning over each other, opening the door. And the shot as the door opens, and then when they're silhouetted against the lights of the data vault, um, beautiful, just gorgeous shots. Yeah, the the imperial interiors in this sequence are really cool to look at. Yeah. We don't get to see a lot of imperial buildings in Star Wars. No, we get to mostly see a lot of space, ships. Yeah. Uh, we get to see a lot of cockpits, you know, we, we don't really get to see, like, buildings. And these buildings look a lot like uh, Star Destroyers, like, from the inside. Right. But there's also, like, this quality of scale that we get to see here that I think is really cool. Uh, and, yeah, there's, like, more light here than we, we normally would see. Yeah. Um, speaking of amazing shots, uh, we cut back out to the beach next. And the next thing we get treated to is, um, uh, Chiriton Bay's mid-battle, enjoying themselves, probably. They're, <laughs> Just having you know, a grand old time. Having a grand old time. And then all of a sudden, that giant walker comes out of the, out of the smoke. Chirrut notices. Um, base, base, run! <laughs> and... Um, and that when that, gosh, when Baze looks over and his face just, just drops and, uh, and it, and that the ATACT comes out of the, 
comes out of the smoke so enormous and menacing and terrifying that all they can do is just run. We got we got to get out of here. And we're then gifted a series of shots as they run through the palm trees, through the brush, across the sand, uh, as as things blow up around them. Uh, and it's just these gorgeous war shots that really feel, again, like we've like all the Vietnam War imagery has come come to this moment. This is this is the moment that Fortunate Son should start playing in this movie. <laughs> if it yeah, were a Vietnam movie. Exactly. Um, and and gosh, when they, they, they hide behind like a like a pile of sand and the walker smashes a palm tree as it comes out of the tree line. Like that is I mean like it's that's Vietnam. That's a that's Vietnam War right there. This is the seventies all over again. Yeah, uh, everybody's got mustaches, and <laughs> uh, yeah, there's there's a war on uh, with lots of palm trees and napalm. Uh, it's it's a great se- uh, sequence of shots, definitely, uh, and it's a really cool like set of perspectives that will like get expanded as the fight continues like when we come back to these guys we get a wider view and we get to see more and the battle goes to the air yes um yes, right the... now it's like small and just on the ground and just a few people you're right the perspective expands as more people join the battle suddenly we as soon as we have air support in just a couple of minutes suddenly we get to see the scope of how big the island is from the ground instead of just like like abstractly from above where Krennic's been looking at it. Um, when it can pull back and you get to see X-Wings in the air and how many walkers there are and how big the beach is and how far away the tower looks. Um, but it's so, until that, until then, it's tight and it's close and it's like visceral and sweaty. Uh, and it's, I don't know, it's beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, walkers are so scary. Oh, my gosh. So scary. They really are. I, I mean, I I don't know if I really got how scary the walkers could be until The Mandalorian came out. Ooh, yeah. Uh, and that episode with, with the one ATST that they can barely take down. Yes. Um, and, you know, seeing, seeing our heroes go up against these, you know, much bigger, scarier walkers that you know luke skywalker could take down one with his lightsaber and explosives right like <laughs> and uh, and a and a tow cable maybe <laughs> right and a tow cable uh like seeing our heroes go up against these you know insurmountable huge armor transports like they're scary totally. uh and and we'll get more moments to be scared of them too uh, I, I love the way that they emerge from the fog here and then they maintain a presence, a threatening presence for the rest of this fight. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of, again, same segue, speaking of amazing shots. <laughs> this is my favorite shot in the entire movie. It's maybe my favorite star- shot in Star Wars. Ooh, it's, it's, yeah. I think it might be my favorite shot in Star so Wars. So good. It's like this shot, um, the silhouette of Luke and Vader uh, in the um, carbonite freezing room in Empire Strikes Back, Ooh, where they're yeah. where they're backlit like that. It's like like these two shots. Um, uh, uh, ghost of Luke facing down Kylo Ren on yes. crate. 
Yes, uh, yes, that yes. Big wide cinemascope shot. That's a really good Star Wars shot. Yes. Like but top this, three all time shots, but this th- is the one. This, this one might be number one. It's when where it's as if Gareth Edwards, director, amazing director of this film, it's as if he decided to strap a GoPro to the front of an X Wing and catch it as it's coming out of hyperspace into the middle of a fight. It's just a perspective we had never seen before, a perspective that feels so right to see, though. Yes. And Gosh. Just a just a brilliant, and it looks so good. It's so it looks beautiful. So real. It's so gorgeous, and and the way that that Star Wars does hyperspace when you come out of it, it's as if everything is stopped moving for a second. That like hard freeze as you exit hyperspace. You know. Yeah, as the stars slow down around you and they become points of light again instead of lines. Oh, uh, so. And, gorgeous i mean if i could if i could live in that shot i would yes because it's just such a serene yet kinetic moment it's wonderful yes the x-wing comes out of hyperspace right into the middle of the battle you've got radis you've got uh, all of the rebel fleet amassing over scarif and you get a fun little cameo uh in there if you look really 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 hard and you've seen rebels which I haven't, so I needed this pointed out to me. Uh, the um, the ship is there. Ghost is there, right? The ghost, yeah. Uh, it's actually the ship that should be on Scarif. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, if you know anything about the ghost, it's um, why it's called the ghost is it's like untrackable uh, by by the Imperials. Cool. Um, so it should it should be the one doing the stealth mission down on scarif base <laughs> but instead it's here to help um yeah and i i think it's it's a great cameo and definitely the sort of easter egg that uh gets more mileage out of just like a couple of frames of the ghost being in frame than anything uh, c3po could have said in his, <laughs> in his cameo right? yes like, it's connecting us to a bigger world and more canon and it's a different kind of fan service a little more niche um, and, and it connects back to earlier when we heard, um, Harrison Dulles name getting called out over the PA system. Yeah. It's, uh, we're, we're placing the show rebels in this point in time. Yeah. I feel like, like I, what's like Hera I, up to right now? <laughs> oh, she's at this fight. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I struggled with this. I haven't watched rebels. Um, but I feel like there was the, I, when I heard about it and when I look at it and I'm like, I don't know when this is supposed to take place. Like I, I didn't know anything about it and I couldn't place like, is this supposed to take overlap with a new hope? Is this taking place during the rebellion? Is it pre rebellion? And I didn't know. And obviously those things would be answered if I had watched it probably. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's helping me put it into perspective on exactly what, um, like what that shows about. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, as a little Easter egg in there, if people who haven't watched Rebels get it pointed out to them, like me, um, if somebody pointed it out to me and then I went, huh, maybe I should watch that show. It's bringing in an audience to the show. So good for them. Yes. All right. Speaking of cameos, we're just going to keep going. Speaking of cameos, 
uh, we've got red and gold leaders here in uh, in the Battle of Scarif. This is gold leader, standing by. This is red leader, standing by. Red and gold leaders using um, uh, archive footage from 1977, spruced up to match the environment a little more. Uh, at, you know, it's a little more HD now. <laughs> um, and But the audio and everything, it's uh, pulled right from right from archive footage from the original film it's cool it's cool it's a great moment i love it there's something about it 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 looks distinctly original i don't know what it is other than maybe just like the quality of the film like the grain um but it also kind of feels like like everything just looked a little different back then (laughs) <laughs> and I, I don't know how else to explain it. It must have been the way the camera was capturing the image. Also kind of like a lack of digital effects and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and also the fact that these are, you know, essentially outtakes, cut archival footage um, that weren't used. But, you know, it's amazing the way it's integrated here. Uh, and it it makes this battle feel so authentic. And you're talking about like, placing it in star wars right yes these pilots will be at the battle of yavin yeah they're going to face the death star in like a couple of days (laughs) yeah and it's so wild to see them at this other fight that they survive and then they go and they fight some more it's it's wonderful it's perfect it's great i love seeing this archival footage here and if i could have a movie that was just archival footage i would watch it <laughs> oh you just go watch a new hope maybe oh what? oh oh what is that what star wars there's a fourth star wars <laughs> oh man all right so the, the fleet is amassing over scarab <laughs> And uh, and Radis is giving everybody instructions. He's large and in charge. He's got his little bubble ship. He sends he says red and gold squadrons protect the fleet. Blue squadron uh, go down to the surface of the planet. Um, and that's my boy Antok Merrick, the lead's blue squadron. What I wanted to know, uh, and maybe you know this, bud, or maybe somebody who's listening might know and can tweet at me. Um, first of all, I think this is our only mention of Blue Squadron. Um, I don't think there's a Blue uh, Squadron in in the original trilogy at all. I think they're it's... not. They're not at the Battle of Yavin. Red and Gold, and then Rogue Squadron uh, eventually, and then Poe Dameron leads Black Squadron. Um, I want to know if if Blue Squadron and their cool blue flight suits, uh, which I don't remember seeing on anybody else. I feel like I only see orange um, on everybody. Uh, I want to know if they, uh, because they all, all but one, get wiped out here, um, if they if they respectfully retired Blue Squadron. That's what I, I want to know. do not know the answer to that. I um, know we see a lot of orange in the original trilogy. <laughs> I know I know that by the time Return of the Jedi comes around, we do start to see different rebel uniforms in cockpits. Yes. Um, but we don't get to spend a lot of time thinking about that because it's just the Battle of Endor. Like, it's really fast. Right. Um, I know that they're... In, in uh, The Last Jedi, we see some different colored flight suits, I think, very briefly in the hangar right before it gets blown up. 
um and i think in gosh in the force awakens maybe a little at the base we can see some different colored flight suits but again mostly orange yeah that's why i so i want to know that if anybody knows please at me um and or join our discord server but we'll talk about that in a minute um i want to know about the blue flight suits and i want to know because so we watch blue squadron take a dive we watch uh all of them but two make it through one of them crashes into the gate um and one of them pulls up in time and probably presumably joins you know red and gold squadron yeah um and at protecting the fleet but um and you know as soon as they in, like invented the gate for this movie like you know somebody had to crash into the gate like well, as soon as k2 says well i'll be annihilated in the cold dark vacuum of space like uh, that has to happen it has to someone. happen to somebody <laughs> it's yeah Chekhov's gate so so the gate closes and now they are trapped and so jenner so says we're trapped <laughs> when they you know mention that the gate is closed and so jen says the obvious here so we're trapped well, you know, there's more than one kind of cage, Jen. <laughs> I sense you carry this one with you wherever you go. <laughs> uh, um, uh, K2SO takes charge here. Uh, he says, you know, they've closed the shield gate. He's the one in contact with the outside world here. They close the shield gate, uh, but I have an answer. You can climb the tower. We go to the top of the tower. We manually project the data um, but the shield gate has to get open. We could transmit the plans to the rebel fleet. We'd have to get a signal up to tell them it's coming. It's the size of the data files, that's the problem. They'll never get through. Someone has to take that shield gate down. Now, I, now here's where I question. If um, shield gate has to get open for the data to be transmitted, shield gate has to be open for a ship to get out. So your options are either transmit it or get on a ship and go regardless uh you know like those plans are both equally plausible right i guess i think i think the one kind of giant wrench in the idea that they could escape on a ship is that like they actually can't though because there's a war going on outside so if they grab this disc, this giant floppy disc that the plans are on, <laughs> and they and they run it back outside the base, they're gonna have to go through a giant battle. Like uh, yeah. transmitting is is the best plan because the garrison is gone. They have the best possible chance. The only people that stand between them and the satellite dish is Krennic and a few guys, right? But they, yeah, they haven't, they haven't gone yet, right? So, I feel like, I feel like the reason they're not running out back to Rogue One to fly away is they, they simply can't. Yeah, uh, they, I and they know that. Um, I just, I just wonder at the we're trapped. I just, I just, I think that the shield gate has to go away no matter what. Like, like, no matter what, we need to get rid of this shield gate to transmit, to fly away, to escape, to be not trapped. That the plan to transmit it and the plan to let's just grab it and go uh, are both equal, like, not equally plausible. As you said, like, grabbing it and going puts you in danger of being shot down. Um, passing the plan on to somebody hot potato style is a little safer. Um, but... I don't know. I just wondered why that was 
K2, they say we're trapped, and K2 says, well, we can transmit the plans. Uh, but but the show gets in the, the way. Shield, yeah. So, you, you, you get what I'm saying? It's strange to me that the shield gate can block, like, transmissions. Like, that sounds really inconvenient, actually. <laughs> um, Unless you're plugged in. Right, unless you're plugged in, which is the other thing. Like, I guess it can block some frequencies, but a stronger frequency can get through. I guess the shield gate is probably some kind of electromagnetic shield, so that makes yeah. sense that it would disrupt radio And that they can maybe get communications through, but not, like, data files through. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Um, but <laughs> K2, K2 has to say something here so that the audience can understand what closing the shield gate means. Yes. And so that blowing up the shield gate still matters. Yes. if they're trapped in but they can transmit out, then you don't have to blow up the shield gate. So whatever, right? Right. We have this to blow up that shield this gate. This continues to raise the stakes. And I think, you know, I was going to say, or I was saying earlier that this segment still ends pretty hopeful that things are going to turn out okay. Yeah. Um, I think actually Jin, Cassian, and K2 might know how deep in it they really are. Yes. Everybody yes. on the outside in the fight is having a really fun time having a star war <laughs> um no except, you're, you're right except our three protagonists here are are so far in the belly of the beast they know getting out might not be an option yes and that's why we get moments like we're trapped it's why we get a really really sweet moment between Jin and k2 when she hands him her blaster your behavior Jinesso, is continually unexpected um he wanted one of those you said you wanted one right and he says your behavior generoso is continually unexpected which is so it's it's k2's nicest compliment it's the nicest yeah. way he can say thank you um it's not it's nice it's a really nice moment between them um, yeah, it's small and quiet and kind of slow for this part of the movie. I'm so glad it's in there. Yes. Uh, because it reminds us that we care about these three. Yes. Uh, and we care about how they feel about each other, too. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and th this is like a like a really important like core of the film, like emotional core of the film between these three characters that start off together. They're the ones that, that kicked off the, the, the whole thing, right? Just the three of them on on the ship to Jeddah, and um, and it's antagonistic and difficult, and she's basically a prisoner, and now she's handing him a gun, and trusting him to watch her back. Trust has to go not just both ways, but every way here yep. right now. Yep, they trust each other uh, now at this point. She says, "I'm going to give you this gun. I know you wanted one." You, the droid. We're talking about droids' rights here, um, which we are passionate about. Yes. Um, and probably the only person to ever hand K2SO a blaster before has been Cassian. Um, and we'll find out that K2's, like, great with that blaster. He's so. super good with the blaster. He doesn't even need to look sometimes. <laughs> he's that good with that blaster. Um, yeah, and it's, it's a, yeah, it's a really sweet moment. And I think, though, that that moment, I think, might be... Might have been my first clue, I think, the first time I saw it. I think when she hands him the blaster and he gets, like, cute about it, I think was my first clue that not everybody was going to make it out of this movie alive. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the kind of moment that characters only share when one of them is going to die. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, spoiler alert, they're all going to die. But... What? <laughs> but, but we... Um, yeah, that's the. It's like saying uh, I'm three days from retirement. Like, right? Yeah, this is this is a death sentence in a in a conversation. Exactly. And it's awful. Yeah. The 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 knowledge that you know these characters are going to develop just a little bit more before we lose them. Uh, that's part of what makes them hurt. Uh, yep. each of these scenes as we start to lose our characters and exactly that's not the conversation for today right now <laughs> everything's gonna be okay everything's gonna be okay for now because they've got Bodhi rook to help them out on the other side they ask Bodhi, they say you know we need you to plug in and we need you to ask somebody up there for help some we know somebody's up there looking out for us so tell them to tell them to smash this shield gate yeah. do it like we ne- we need this and we need you Bodhi Rook to do this and he's so scared and he's real concerned he's like we I gotta I gotta plug in and I need to find the master switch and and this is where like from here on Bodhi Rook becomes a, a leader just like you said I really like that you said we're gonna let each of these characters develop like one more time before we kill them yeah <laughs> like each one of these characters is gonna get one last moment to um, to shine, to prove themselves, and to learn something and earn a a good death. And Bodhi Rook gets to, in this moment, he's concerned and he's scared and he doesn't want to run out there and he doesn't want to plug in, but he's going to get a chance to become a leader, to delegate uh, responsibility, to uh, assert himself, and, and to do something, you know, for Galen. And he's going to get that moment any minute, but for right now, he's terrified um, and he should be because it's real scary out there. Yeah, actually, there are these uh, giant. I maybe you maybe you've heard of them. They're like forty feet tall, maybe <laughs> taller. Guns on the front, giant armor all around. Uh, very scary walkers. Oh yeah, those that guys. are attacking our friends. Oh yeah, we're back to them. We come back yeah. to them, and we get Shirt and Bays and everybody hunkered down trying to take down these really just so. They're, they're so cool, these walkers. They've never looked cooler no. in any media. Um, and they're they're very scary. They, they're, like, really buff. <laughs> buff walkers. Um, uh, the buffest walkers were used by the First Order oh, on, definitely. on Crate. Definitely. Uh, Those are really scary. These, these are sort of buff walkers. Um, yeah. De- yeah. They, the First Order really beefed up their walkers, for sure. But these, <laughs> up until, you know, this point, the walkers... We'd really only seen them... Gosh, this movie came out in 2016. We'd really only seen the walkers properly in on Hoth, right? Like, I guess. Um, so, and they're cool on Hoth. They look great on Hoth, um, except they, you know, they're little models, and they crumple like little models. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love the shot on Hoth of the, of the, of the AT-AT just losing it at the knees and falling yeah, face first falling into the face snow. First. It's, it's so, so... It's so cool. And kind it's of adorable. Funny. It's funny that we're kind of personifying them and talking about how buff they are or how adorable they are. <laughs> because this is one of the only times we see a walker where it acts kind of animalistically. It does. Because it gets hit. We get we, we mentioned this already. Baze Malbus gets to put on a cool rocket launcher and shoot it in the neck. 
and its head falls to the side and then it turns slowly turns its head back to look at yeah. at base oh so my scary. god and and it you you can see it it's got like a face right and yes. the guns come off of it like tusks and the the viewport looks like eyes and it just like turns its head back swings back and you're like oh no you know what it kind of reminds me of is um like a war elephant oh yeah you know, like an Oliphant, like in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Which is the same thing. It's just a war elephant with a fun name. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you can imagine, uh, you know, some sort of medieval army riding this into battle, right? Yeah. Uh, when you said tusks, it extra ri- reminded me of it. I was already thinking it, and then you said tusks, and I was like, oh, that's an <laughs> elephant. And that's a war elephant. The gray, I, I never really, like, made the elephant connection. Because cool, their legs right? are too long, it's um, cool. <laughs> and they look—they look like the cranes out in uh, the port of Oakland. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, but, they do. Uh, it looks—it looks so good here, and this this confrontation where you're like, well, I guess it's Baze is gonna back, die here. It's looking back at Baze like it has a mind of its own. Like, yeah. are you kidding me? Terrifying. And then it gets it. <laughs> and then my husband, my beautiful, sexy, mustachioed husband, Antok Merrick, blue leader, comes flying in and shoots that that walker right in the neck. Baze sends him a thumbs up and then he smiles. That damn smile. <laughs> It's a it's a great moment, so triumphant, and the music swells. And, and that thumbs up is really good. We get to see we get to see an X wing destroy a walker, and I want to I want to take you to uh to a little bit of Star Wars trivia here. Ooh. Um, when the rebels were fighting against these walkers on Hoth, they were in retrofitted, rinky dink barely holding together speeders like snow speeders right that yeah the snow speeders that barely had guns on them like they were trying to shoot the walkers and they weren't doing anything with the armor right right a proper ship can definitely do something to them and i think i think it's just so satisfying to see the x-wing come in and just like one shot it with just the perfect precision right in the neck the weak point right yeah like the snow speeders are are doing their best to just like on crate slow the walkers down to buy the rebels some time to escape exactly like on crate because those yeah the skimmers those skimmers are you know what i love about the parallels between hoth and crate is that the skimmers are so much worse than the snow speeders <laughs> and the snow speeders were already like driving a honda civic into a war zone <laughs> so this is like riding a skateboard into a war zone right exactly uh and i don't know it's just it's it's a great way that star wars kind of progressed its odds here we get to see the rebellion with the element of surprise and enough equipment to do it right to actually have a fight this way yeah and so i i I think seeing an x-wing take out a walker means a lot here it's like oh the odds were too great oh yeah well the rebellion's here and they're awesome (laughs) Uh, let's even out those odds a little bit yeah and we'll and 
we can smile and for a minute, we throw a thumbs up to a pilot. We can, you know, celebrate and cheer like the fleets here. This is our moment of triumph here. This is where we feel like things may just turn around for us. Just by all that we've just seen and heard and the fact that the Death Star is on its way and K2SO is alone in a hallway with a, with a single blaster and um, Darth Vader has been called. Somebody <laughs> got him on the cell and said, he's, yo, come over. Um, you know, things, things are not going to be great, but for just a minute here, things feel awesome. Yeah. And that, I think, is the end of this segment. Wow. It's a good segment. That was a really fun segment. It was yeah. so much fun. I'm really glad that we were able to get a whole hour of conversation <laughs> out of so much action. You know, um, this but- is the third episode in a row where we've sat down before the episode and said, this is going to be a short one. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is the third episode in a row, third month in a row where we've said, I bet we could do this in under an hour. <laughs> um, and then didn't because there's so much to do. And that's the beauty of this film is that even in its most actiony action sequences, we're left with these pieces of of like pure narrative and character development and um, and like joy and and connection that uh, another lesser action film may not have given us. And I agree. It's it's the little things. It's the blaster scene. It's the smile. Uh, smile. <laughs> it's it's these little these little moments where we continue to recognize our characters as people yeah and where their relationships are still happening because people are still people no matter what situation they're in and their relationships still matter no matter what's happening like i i think that's beautiful about this movie and about star wars in general uh it's always been about people and relationships. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that was uh, the end of that conversation. We will be back in a month, in the month of August, with our next segment of the film, where we will be going from the this moment, Antoch Merrick's smile, at about an hour and 41 minutes in. We'll be going to uh, about 11 minutes later, at an hour and 52 minutes in, um, we're going to end on a, a extremely different note. Um, at an hour and 52 minutes in is the moment where, uh, where Cassian Andor falls. We are doing Cassian falls and it's almost, it shares a minute. It's almost exactly the same minute that Chirrut Mwe dies. Wow. Um, so. I am not prepared for I know. this episode. I'm glad I that it won't happen until next month. <laughs> I know we have a whole month to get ready for it because this is the we're gonna get some really really heavy moments here, um, and so everybody you know prepare yourselves. We'll put warnings in the in the show notes and everything when it comes out. But you know get ready. Um, we'll probably maybe have another watch party before then. Uh, my birthday is at the end of July, so maybe we might do something that weekend to celebrate. Um, maybe a, 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 a live tweet session, maybe just a, a 
conver- uh, in-depth conversation about the movie to celebrate my birthday. Well, Alice, you are turning 900 years old it's this year. It's true. When 900 years old you reach, look this good, you will not. That's true. Uh, uh. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that, get ready for that for, for next month. Um, and in the meantime, we are going to continue our conversation, uh, as always on the internet. On the internet. Yeah. We're always on Twitter. Isn't that right? Just constantly on Twitter. Even when we're prepping for this episode, I was tweeting like 80 times. (laughs) So, um, uh, find us on Twitter. You can find the show at Rogue Fun Pod. Uh, and you can find us individually on Twitter as well. Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Alice White THP, which stands for Those Happy Places, which is our other podcast. Yeah, and I'm at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. Uh, and we're also, like we said before, on our Discord server. Yes, if you are unfamiliar with Discord... It is like if a a forum and a chat room and a social media website combined to make one crazy baby. (laughs) Uh, We've got a series of of servers and threads on there to talk about everything from Star Wars to Disneyland to uh, just general conversation. We even have a channel specifically called, it's called Supportsville, where if you are having a rough time of it, you can go and find some support and love from this awesome community that we've built. Um, and if you want to join that uh, that Discord server, you can hit us up on Twitter, uh, on any of our Twitter accounts, uh, or you can drop me an email at alicewhitepodcast at gmail.com, and I will send you a link and tell you how to sign up for that so you can uh, chat with us. Yeah, and you know, Alice, it, some people out there might want to support the things we're doing on the internet Specifically, the now dozens of podcasts that we make. (laughs) Yes, we keep making more podcasts because we love making content and art and and narratives and stories that we can share with people. And if you like what we do, and if you want to hear more of it, like special bonus episodes, maybe, you can find that on our Patreon yeah, that's patreon.com slash those happy places. It's named after our first podcast, Those Happy Places, which is about theme parks. Um, and yeah, one of my favorite uh, bonus features that we've put out there uh, concerns Dr. Evanson and Pondo Baba. Uh, it's called Clonosaurus Rex, and it is available to anybody at any level of patronage. But we all, we have a lot of other levels that you can look at when yeah. you get there. Join us at the uh, at the four dollar level and we'll send you i have a cute little care package here with uh stickers and buttons and uh postcards the buttons are are a new addition i just decided to throw those into the package because i (laughs) felt like it um and i'll send you one of those if you join us at the four dollar a month level um and keep an eye out because there are some changes going to be coming to the patreon including merch possibly t-shirts What? if you want to be the first one to know about all of these updates remember to follow us at patreon.com slash those happy places now alice we should thank a couple of very special patreon backers yes absolutely those who have joined us at the d ticket level or higher get their name shouted out on every episode of everything we make um so our very good friends Azam chaudry and charles gustine uh, who are amazing uh, 
they're great members of the community and always giving us uh, conversation starters and um, and just they're just great great dudes. Yes, they are both gentlemen and scholars. Thank you both so much for being our patrons. Yes, 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 absolutely. So uh, if you want your name read aloud, once again, that website is patreon.com slash those happy places. And uh, I think that's it. Alice, thank you so much for doing this episode with me. <sighs> thank you so much for joining me on this podcast and in all podcasts. Uh, <laughs> you're my favorite co-host, uh, my best friend. And uh, the show is uh, has a, a very special place in my heart, and I'm glad that you're doing it with me. Rope fun. Pulling away. May the force be with us.